message and thank you all of you who are here and online for remaining even though the best part of the sermon is already being spoken. It's good to have you here. I know we are used to something different. We're used to this building being full. We're used to being able to fellowship after the message. Things are different and yet God is still the same. I have recently realized that in times of challenge and difficulty, it helps if you have a crazy neighbor. I have a friend, his name is Kenneth Kong, and he um, is a pilot for Singapore Airlines. And he told me, I've got a crazy neighbor. And uh, I found that out because I asked him, well, since you're not flying, what do you do all day? He said, I just sit around my house and I watch my crazy neighbor entertain me. Apparently, this neighbor, he finds hilarious. He finds him frantic. He finds his music odd. He finds even the way he waters his plants to be strange, not so much water, he said, as it is throw water in the plant's direction, the kind of, you know, splash and dash approach to watering plants. But sometimes I realized neighbors can be so crazy, it just actually is not entertaining, it just creates anxiety. So Kenneth told me this this week, he was leaving for breakfast and he noticed that his neighbor's Uh, gate was open, just kind of swinging sadly in the breeze. And he walked over for a moment and he noticed, oh, the the inside door is also open. Which he thought, well, it's just my neighbor. He's crazy that way. And so he went on his day. He came back later in the afternoon. Gate still open. Door also open. Later that evening, he came back from dinner with his family. It was like 7.30. Gate still open door also open. So just before he went to bed, around 11.30, he went outside to look at his crazy neighbor's house and still the same way. Gate swinging open with the breeze, inside door wide open. So he went to ring the bell and there was a sign on the bell said, bell not working. Because for crazy people, apparently it's easier to have a sticky note than repair your bell. He, he just thought, oh, this guy, you know, he's entertaining most of the time, but right now it's just causing me some distraction and anxiety. He eventually went to bed, toss and turn, toss and turn. Finally, at three in the morning, he couldn't take it. So he walked opposite, snuck inside, quietly pulled the door closed, and then stepped out and shut the gate. At which I, I said to him, why don't we just exchange numbers, then you can just call me. I'll, I'll get up and close my own gate. Yes, it was me. I am that crazy neighbor. Now, now, what it means is I'm kind of a slow learner. I, I've been in Singapore almost nine years, you know, and I, I've come to realize slowly that for Singaporeans, doors are meant to be closed, not, not left open. If you leave your door open all the time, you may as well not have a door. You may as well not even have a house, just have a void deck on the 21st floor, right? So, so we have doors that open temporarily for special times and for special people. After people come in and people go out, we do what? We close the door. This is where we're headed this week as we look at this text. And I encourage you, even though the text will be up on the, on the screen, if you have your Bibles, leave them open to this. For those of you who love notes, 
there's going to be four points. Strive to enter because opportunity is short. There is a devastating alternative and a grieving Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we have come into your presence cluttered. We have picked up stuff on the internet this week that has driven into our hearts, has distracted our minds. We have stress at work. We have supervisors who are hard to live with. We have schooling. We have children's issues. We come with hearts full of clutter. Give us a moment, we pray, in this holy calm to just focus on your word for us today. Help us, O oh God, to have hearts fully ready to turn completely into you so that we might leave this place full of confidence, not in how we can do in this difficult world, but by all that you can do, the almighty, ever-present, loving creator of heaven and earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin this way. Strive to enter uh, verses 22 through 24. Um, I, I think it's really important for us to understand as we look at this text um, that this verse, verse 22, sets for us the context. Many of you may remember Pastor Eugene several weeks ago now saying we are beginning in what has often been called this travel narrative. Now we are full on into Jesus' travel narrative. He went on his way, verse 22 says, here again, not because, I know some of you are, are feeling stressed because there's travel restrictions, not because he needed to travel, not because he wanted to travel. He went on his way teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. We've heard this before. He is seeking desperately to close the gap between what he knows God desires for him and being completely sacrificially obedient to all that his father has asked. He is making his way through towns and villages. While he goes, he is teaching. And then we get, get what his teaching is all about. In the middle of his teaching, someone in the crowd just cries out to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? We can infer by this that perhaps this guy is noticing the crowds are thinning. The more Jesus teaches about dying and sacrifice and following him, the fewer the number is, the less bread he serves, the less fish that come out, the fewer the crowd. Perhaps he notices this. And so he turns to Jesus and shouts out from the crowd as Jesus is teaching, Lord, um, will there be just a few who are saved? Only a few. And this is Jesus' response. He said to them, strive to enter. E even though this verse is kind of at the beginning of this text that we're looking at this morning, it is the central theme of this text. Strive to enter. And, and there's several things that we need to understand about this. First, that word strive, 
It, it doesn't mean work hard. He, he's not suggesting, you know, do some meritorious service in order to qualify to be inside the kingdom of God. That word strive that we have translated in English strive is actually a Greek word, a verb, from, what, from which we get our English word anxiety. Agonize. Now, 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 I'll be honest with you. Some of you know me. I've shared this before. I sometimes struggle with anxiety. Sherry doesn't love this word. She's a practical person. When I say I've got anxiety, she would say, hey, you need to do this or you need to do that. This is not a doing word. It's not even an emotional word. It means be consumed by this. Yes, emotionally. Yes, intellectually. Buy something. Be consumed. It's, it's not just emotional. It's a spiritual word. It's the same word exactly that Luke uses in chapter 22 when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, being in agony. Same word. Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like drops of blood dropping to the ground. Jesus agonized. He was consumed by what? Accomplishing the Father's mission on the cross at Calvary. He was consumed by that. He agonized over it. So second, be consumed by this, entering the narrow door. Now, now do you understand why Christianity has become the religious poster child for intolerance? It's because of this. It's because it's not just enter the door, enter any door, enter the convenient door. It's enter the narrow door. And in John's gospel, Jesus clearly says it. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He never says, choose one, choose a door. Just find a way. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the door. Enter in by me. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, several of you have called the office because you look ahead and see, you know, what's the title of the message is coming up next week. Several of you said, Carrie, can you talk to the pastor? Because what does that mean, rush the door? Because we function by the limitations of English, it's not immediately apparent to us that Luke is actually using a play on words in this passage. Because the Greek word door, the noun, comes from a root which is actually a verb which means rush, hurry in. The door, the doorway is the busiest place of the house. That's why if you look at very old homes, the threshold is worn down from many people walking in and out. Rush the door. I grew up with that phrase in Canada. I had no idea where it came from. But, but you know, in 1997, I had the privilege, the joy actually, of taking my two oldest boys to go see MU play football. Yeah, that's right. But of course, when I say MU, I, I mean Malacca United. Not quite the same caliber, but it was our first time to see a football match in the Malaysian Premier League, which is now called the Super League, 
And, and I was thrilled. I was, I was really excited. I, I'd never been to a football match in Malaysia. Um, I, I know they love to play football because in every taman, they, you know, if there's green space, any padang, they would be out there playing football. We would join play. So this time, professional league. Our boys had never been to a professional football match. So we entered in. We got our tickets. They were really expensive. Six ringgit. You know, probably not for you Singaporeans, but that was money. And, and almost immediately, we got in there. We, we were in the very front row, meaning we were standing right against the fence. This was before they had their new stadium, which they have now, that, that seats 40,000 people. This I, looked like about 10,000 people. The, the crowd was multi-ethnic because we were there. Everybody else was the you know, majority people. And, and I was just feeling a little bit nervous. What, what have I brought my boys into because the crowd was raucous they were they were loud they were singing songs they were chanting before the match even started i got hit in the back of the neck by something i don't know water bottle that was full um, 10 minutes into the match we were playing tranganu by the way and tranganu a superior team it, it's not saying malaki united were not good they were all good individually just didn't play well together <laughs> You know, every, every player thought he was Ronaldo, would take a shot from 25 meters out. It would sail 10 meters over the crossbar. And, and clearly the refs were also from Tringanu. The, the, the play wasn't going for us. The calls were not going for us. And the crowd was getting angrier and angrier. People were pushing against us, shouting. Some men were climbing up on the fence. And, and, and after a few moments, I, I was just turned with my back to the pitch with my hands out, just trying to stop any projectile. And, and also, just, just looking. Just trying to protect my boys. And, and then, I had a vision. Well, not a vision. I saw something. A gloriously lit, bright sign from God. And the sign said, Kelowar, exit. I, I grabbed my oldest son by the back of the shirt. I spun him around and I said, Leighton, we're going to rush that door. We're going to rush that door. With the other hand, I held on to Rob and I pushed him through the crowd because Leighton wasn't big enough to see that sign. I guarantee you, once we made it out of that door, I felt such extraordinary relief. This is what Jesus is calling us to. To rush that door. And when we feel the joy of being out from under the wrath of a holy God for my sins and yours, once we find the grace and mercy found only in the Kelowar of Jesus, we joyfully rush that door. So the question might be asked, oh, why, why do people not rush into him? Strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Why is it? Well, you know, obviously, opportunity is limited because doors open and then they close. And may, maybe even people are queued up at a you know, different door. This is a crowd in Minnesota, in America, rushing the door at the Mall of America. 
on a Friday that they call in America Black Friday. In fact, this November 27, special people will rush doors just like this. Why? So that they can purchase things that will not satisfy. Now before we get too judgy on this, I couldn't help but notice that Shopee has an 11.11 super sale. There are people already queuing up for the 11.11 super sale at Shopee. Can, can you hear the grief in the prophet's cry? In Isaiah 55, he says, why? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Do you have any sense this morning that you're queued up in front of a door that has not satisfied you and will never satisfy you? Why do we do this? Because our appetites tell us. Cue here. The flesh of my earthly nature, the culture that raised me, tells me why not get in this lineup? Persevere. Stick it out. My father did that. He was the son of an immigrant. And for immigrants in Canada, salvation wasn't in church. It was in hard work. He worked until he was 80 years old. Eight, zero. And then he died. I'm grateful that as a 35-year-old man, he found the door who is Christ. Because all the work he gave his life to did not satisfy. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door. You begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open to us. Do you see the tragedy? The tragedy is people realize, but too late. I've shared this before. My sister, who became a millionaire, giving her life to working for the Canadian government, left her family in Malaysia went to Canada as a 17-year-old, poured out her life, becoming a millionaire. And what did she care about on the week she died? Nothing. We couldn't even get her to fill out her will properly. She didn't care. She did not care. Friends, the day will come for everyone you know, for us as well, sitting here in the auditorium, at home, the day we come will come when we will know I'm either in or Lord, please have mercy. The door will not remain open forever. And in order for us to understand what Jesus means when we read him saying, I do not know where you come from. We have to kind of take off our Western filter. Now, now in, in Western culture, I'll just be honest. When Canadians think of Singaporeans, they generalize who you are and what you're like because of where you come from. But Matthew, in his telling of this, is even more clear. 
Jesus just says, I don't know you. Now, is he really saying, is Luke really saying that the creator of heaven and earth, the all-knowing God, doesn't know where somebody comes from? Is he really saying that I don't know who you are? We need to take off our Western filter of understanding, knowing as purely an intellectual awareness. Because that is Western. We know about things. But in biblical culture, knowing is much more deeply a knowing experientially. An intimate, emotional attachment. It's the kind of knowing a mother has when she hears a baby cry and know exactly that that's my child. It's an experience that is connected. A soul connection. And that's why in Hebrew describing the most intimate of human relationships, Genesis 4 says, Cain knew his wife and she conceived. It doesn't mean, oh, I, I know about her. I heard she's pregnant. No, it's an intimate experience with someone of another gender. He knew her intimately and she conceived. It's what Jesus means in John 10 when he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and they know me. That's why when a child of God cries out mercy, he knows and hears and says, that is my child. But the implication of this is even deeper. 2 Timothy 2 says this, the Lord knows those who are his, meaning there are some who are not. This is not a church membership issue. See, that's the tricky thing. You can know about what the church believes. You can answer according to what the church believes. You can get into church membership. But the Lord knows those who are His. How? My sheep hear my voice. Now, now again, don't think of this in Western terms. Hear means obey me. They, they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Do you see how safe it is? They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. I have this fear that some people that I've shared good news with and suddenly intellectually it made sense to them to try and avoid eternal damnation. They prayed that prayer they're just like those Jesus speaks of in verses 26 and 27. They ate and drank in his presence. He, they listened to his teaching. But Jesus will say again, I, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me. You, you, you see, in GBC, we love God's word. But, but the gauge of authentic discipleship is not that you know about God's Word. 
the gauge is we follow his word completely. We know him, we follow him, and he knows us. And the critical issue is we've got to understand what's at risk. Because there is a devastating alternative. This is a facsimile of the original cover page. In 1647, the British Parliament approved the broad use of the Westminster Shorter Catechism to train new converts to the Christian faith. Particularly, interestingly, they said it's for discipling or catechizing such as are of weaker capacity, meaning children and youth. 107 questions and answers for new believers used in both the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, in Ireland, and also in the UK. For 400 years, this became the discipleship material for the church. And 107 questions, the first question of which is, what is the chief end of man? Why are we here? What, what is humanity about? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It glorifies God when I give up my own strength, when I drop my own merit, and I rush the door of Jesus Christ. It glorifies God when I respond to his word. Strive. Be anxious about this. Enter in. Feel the grace and peace of entry. Why? Because there is a devastating alternative in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. Why is hell hell for Jews? Because their tradition has taught them that one glorious day they will sit down and lounge at a wonderful divine banquet with all the patriarchs of our tradition. They depended on that tradition. They expected that tradition. And, and here, if you haven't seen this before, we suddenly discover that in hell there is a window you didn't know that hell was a room with a view. It's a tormenting view. Because Jesus said, you will reject me, you will go on your own way, and then from hell, in torment, you will see at great distance Abraham and Isaac and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself have been cast out. In case you just think this is an unusual anecdote, it's the same thing that Luke describes with Lazarus and the rich man. Remember the rich man who had everything and this poor homeless person named, named Lazarus would, would sit and get the crumbs that the dogs would fight for that would draw off the banquet table. And then they both died. And in Hades, in hell, the rich man was in torment and he looked up that window and saw Abraham far away and that homeless man by his side and then he cried out father abraham have pity on me and send a missionary 
sends Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony. The closing door is the reason why good news is not always good. This is why the Baptist theologian Carl F.H. Henry said the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. Jesus is urgently pleading with his brothers, the Jews, as he makes his way to Jerusalem. Rush this door. I am the door. It's narrow because it's me. And yet they rebelliously, foolishly reject him. Friends, we're sending ambassadors to Israel and working out a peace deal with Sudan. That's a good thing. But better yet, send missionaries so they can have peace with God. This is the tragedy of religion. Is it allows us to rely on tradition. So I, I just want to ask you, sitting here or, or sitting at home, what, what traditions are you relying on? Are, are you relying on discipleship as hard work, serving well and consistently, faithfully? Are, are you relying on some meritorious service you offer? Are you relying on the fact that you're a reformer? Rush this door. During the season of grace, this moment while we yet draw breath, opportunity to rush this door. And, and the tragedy for these Jews, God's chosen people. His people will come from the east and the west. You're from the east, I'm from the west. People will come from the north and the south. I'm from the north, some of you brothers are from the south. God has drawn us all together, little in common except the gospel. Except that we heard his voice rush this Door, come in, incline at this table. The tragedy of this is God has designed hell, Matthew says, 25 verse 4, for Satan, for the devil, and his angels. And yet, this is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matt, Hebrews 2, the writer of Hebrews says this, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This is why Jesus urgently turned his face toward Jerusalem because he said how tragic it would be for a prophet to die outside of Jerusalem. And so we see him grieving in verses 31 through 35. And, and what I want to do is just kind of leave this text up while I quickly say a few things about it. First thing is, though Luke 
will later point it out. At this point in his ministry, he doesn't specifically assign any particular malice to this particular group of Pharisees that come to give him this warning. He, he doesn't suggest that they have any kind of malignant intent. The second thing is this is Luke's last mention of Herod Antipas, the king or tetrarch that killed his cousin John the baptizer. And some of you may know Josephus, who is a secular Jewish historian, wrote about this murder and specifically said Herod murdered John because he feared insurrection. And perhaps Herod Antipas thought, okay, I've killed, I've settled the, the last chance of insurrection, and then this Jesus comes along. Perhaps those Pharisees are just concerned about having insurrection in their town, in their village. So they say, you, you, you know, move ahead, move on. And, and third, it's important to notice that in this time, foxes, unlike in Western culture, did not have particular esteem. Jesus was not saying, you tell that wise old fox, that crafty one, what I'm doing. In the day in which bears and lions still prowled in Palestine, foxes were simply like vultures that picked on the corpses of an other predator's dead. They were opportunists. And to this opportunist, Jesus said, tell him specifically what is happening. So in this defining moment, this is a story only found in Luke. This warning about Herod and Jesus' response. And two times in succession, Jesus references a limited three-day time period in which the season of grace exists. The door, the narrow door remains open. Three days, today, tomorrow, and the third day, his people will see the manifestations or the many evidences of God's kingdom at work. Today, tomorrow, and the third day, his people will have opportunity to rush the door. Fifth, in Luke, there is urgent dedication in Jesus to this mission. It's unique, an urgency that's unique to the gospel of Luke. This little word that is translated must. He doesn't just say, I need, I'm going on my way to Jerusalem. He says, I must go on my word. The Greek word is day. This word, of all the usages in the gospels, in the four gospels, Luke uses it 75% of the time. Because Luke's gospel is a gospel of urgency. Remember, he's a, he's a non-Jewish writer writing to a non-Jewish recipient. He's urgently reminding them the opportunity is shifting. God's going to bring many sons to glory. Theophilus, born of pagan parents, not a Jew. Jesus is urgent to complete the task his father gave because of his affection for the nations. And six, here's what's really amazing about this open door. We have presented for us the biblical model of outreach. Because 
to these Pharisees, some of whom were plotting to kill him, he sends them to Herod, who is a proven murderer, this message. The door is open. So, so, so friend, do you, do you have anyone in your life who's hostile towards you? Do you have a supervisor who's unfair? You have someone who hates Christians and Christianity? The gospel is for them. This good news, while you draw breath, the door is open. While you yet live, those who despise Christ, those Pharisees, some at least one who was named Saul, this door is for you. I wonder if we had an original text of Luke, if we could notice that there's no gaps between verses. And so between verse 33 and 34, there is no little word, oh, there is just three times this cry of lament, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent. How often would I gather your children together as a hen gathers and protects her chicks? And yet you were not willing. That's why we need to send missionaries. Not the UN peacekeepers, but ambassadors for the Prince of Peace. Jesus cries out in lament and we're going to end with this. Behold, your house is forsaken. Jesus is anticipating today and tomorrow and the third day. He is speaking of the moment he would complete his father's work on the cross. He's anticipating the moment when he bears the weight of all of God's wrath, drinks it down, and then cries, it is finished. He's anticipating the moment when at that very second, the great curtain that separated the holiness of God from the unholy people who worshipped him was torn in two. And the temple was emptied of its Shekinah glory. Why? Because for all of those who ran into him as empty houses, his spirit came in and filled us. No more an empty house, but now a holy temple. Jesus was actually quoting the psalmist from 118 Psalm, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will bless you, O God, from the house of the Lord. This, this morning as Carrie led us in worship, we were blessing the Lord from the house of the Lord. Not this building, but from this house that he made temples, singing softly into our masks. Blessed is the one who came in the name of the Lord who made this empty house a holy temple, who cleansed me and filled me with his glory. 
You may have heard of this novel, My Atmos for His Highest. Oswald Chambers was a Baptist Scottish preacher in the 20th century. This is an extremely popular book, devotional book. In fact, even Amazon, Amazon alone, they've sold 13 million copies. But the title of it is actually taken from a sermon that he preached in the 1900s. And the summary of his sermon, as he closed it to his congregation, he closed it with these words. Shout out every consideration and keep yourself before God for this one thing only. Agonize over this because he deserves your utmost. He is the highest. You remember how Ollie opened our service? He read for us from Romans 5. Since therefore we have been justified by God, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Rush that door. Through him we also have obtained access to faith. Rush into him. Let us be consumed by this. This is why we're here. This is why his word exists. So that while we yet draw breath, during this short season of grace, the narrow door yet remains open. Rush into it. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, at the end of our service, we are going to have some reflection questions on the screen that may help you explore this some more. But for those of us who are in this room right now, perhaps even the many who are watching, either in a watch party or in your own home with your family, this is a holy moment for you. This is a holy moment for me. We have heard God's word. How do we now respond? Is, is, is this something you can honestly say you are consumed by? Day after day. Week after week. Every moment. How is it, oh God, that I can be fully found in Him? If you in any way have become anxious about that thought, then this is a good moment for you to thank God for it. Because that anxiety is evidence of his pursuit for you. Throughout ages, he has pursued you. He stands at your door and knocks. He stands at the door of the congregation, knocking. Will you hear his voice? He's not shouting like this preacher, but urgently, compassionately, he whispers in our hearts. Rush the story. Come into me, and you will find peace. 
if you're here today or watching online and you've never had a time in which you have said, yes, God, I want to fully lean into you. I recognize that Jesus is the only way. And I want to find myself in him. If you would simply call out to him now, just simply in your own heart, say, oh, Lord God, I turn from my own bad decisions. I, I, I reject my constant addiction to bad choices. And I release myself into your hands. He will, by no means, cast you off. That is the confidence that we have. So deep is the Father's love for you that Jesus urgently pursued his mission to Jerusalem so that he may quickly as possible close the gap that existed between the Father's expectation for him and his absolute obedience. Now about us, will we also say, yes, Lord. I turn from my own life and turn afresh to you. I will seek to make all things right in my life. As I make peace with you today, O oh God, help me, O oh Lord, to make peace with those around Father God, we thank you that you are still the God who gives seasons of grace, moments of opportunity. Thank you that your arm is not short that you cannot save, that you can reach right down to where we are now and pull us into your embrace. So God, respond to our heart cries today. Wherever you hear us, draw near that we might rush in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.